Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your hosts, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well tonight, Ed, and I hope you are. I am well, and you know, it, I, I kind of jotted down some things that were on my mind, and as I look at it, everything is like stuff we've talked about before, it feels like. Uh, so many stories that are just follow-ups. Does that make us prescient? It, maybe it does, and we'll, I guess we'll get into that tonight. <laughs> uh, you know, last week we talked about Pelosi's trip to the to Asia, and I, I guess she made it to Taiwan and out of Taiwan. Uh, I can't say peacefully, because things have certainly ramped up over there, haven't they? Yeah, they certainly sure have. Um, and uh sounds like at least three more days if the Chinese uh, uh, stick to their plans of um, shooting uh, missiles over over the island of Taiwan and up around Japan. Um, uh, you know, uh, an error could lead to catastrophe. Yeah, I guess that's the real danger there is that anything could happen, whether it's intended or not. Yeah, but Madam Speaker got a, a medal and a sash from the Taiwanese government, and, and that really, really makes makes it all worthwhile. Very fashionable. <laughs> and she probably visited some of her uh, husband's uh, stock investment uh, holding companies there, too, so that, that was probably worthwhile to the family. And she reassured them that despite his um, arraignment, on uh, was it Monday or t- it was it was Tuesday uh, that all would be well, and for them not to panic. Good use of government resources. Of course, of course. So the other thing I wanted to mention because we did you know kind of a big segment on this several weeks ago, which was Major League Baseball's antitrust exemption and how the Senate's kind of pushing them. Well, the Commissioner of Baseball kind of pushed back in a in a long letter to the uh, to the Senate in which he tried to defend the antitrust exemption. And, you know, just in in part, he said um, that he said, and this had to do with how minor league players were treated. He said, we respectfully submit the opposite of truth is true. The baseball antitrust exemption has meaningfully improved the lives of minor league players. Uh, You know, I don't know if they're going to buy that in the Senate or not, but it's going to be a continuing source of controversy, I feel. Yeah. um, I mean, you know, to the extent that, that some minor league players have made it to the majors and, and enjoyed the riches stemming therefrom, yeah, he's right. But when you say we respectfully submit that the opposite is true, you are in lawyer lingo calling someone a liar. Uh, and and I don't think that would be lost on the senators. Um, and, and clearly when you, it seems to me, when you, when you, drill down into what the minor leagues, what the pay situation is for those players that don't sign huge bonuses. It's just not true. I mean, they're indentured servants for, for all intents and purposes. And I think the Senate's view, and we talked about this several weeks ago, and I think as you've explained antitrust law to me, is, is that... You're in trouble if, if you're relying on me. Well, as the Senate seems to say, then let's let's go back to that. Is that yes, please say, Major say that. League Baseball having an, an exemption from antitrust laws, so to speak, is, is allows them to do what they want. Yeah, I mean they they essentially have uh, almost unfettered control, um, and uh, you know you know that'd be one thing if you were paying your 
your minor league players, uh, what what the liberals like to call a living wage, um, and and you know benefits more than just during the season. But you know when you're paying nine ten thousand dollars a year for six months of work, uh, really not even six months of work because they don't get paid for spring training and their their season essentially runs from sometime in mid to late April until uh, the end of August or early September for those teams that make the playoffs, you know, it's just, uh, it's very hard to make a go of it. Yeah. Now to keep it on the antitrust uh, subject, because we also talked about this new golf tour that the Saudis have been promoting. And, you know, I'm sure you saw it this week, but Phil Mickelson, a bunch of players who had left the PGA to join this live tour, LIV tour, they're now suing the PGA, saying they're violating antitrust law. What do you think about that? Um, I, I think they're – I think in to my uh, unrefined opinion – the, the difference is they have voluntarily agreed to be bound by the rules of the PGA Tour. You mean when they were part of the tour? Right. They, they are the owners, essentially. I mean, they're not in the sense that they're independent contractors, but they are in the sense that, you know, they can play as much as they can um, earn, you know, um, and uh, it, it's just a slightly different situation they're not contractually bound uh to an employer for a period of years you know no one prevented them from leaving the pga tour they simply when they left without permission from the their commissioner uh the rules say that they are to be suspended um should they try to return so they're free to go and earn a bunch of money at the LIV tour or, or, or wherever. Uh, but the minor leaguers can't do that. You know, it'd be one thing if, if they could say, uh, you know, screw you, I'm going to play in another league. But there is no other league. I mean, I guess there's Japan and there's Korea, but it's not quite the same. You know, the LIV, the money's better than the PGA tour for a smaller number of players, but, but still – better when you compare the, the number of players that the LIV pays. So uh, to me, that's a little different. I, I don't know. The court might see it differently. Well, it seems different. I, I kind of skimmed through the complaint, but they made a big deal about the fact that the PGA Tour had this, they call it an orchestrated plan, but uh, you know their, their scheme basically to impose lifetime bans on players that left, and then they did the suspensions also. And then, of course, there were deals they had separately with with others who were, you know, kind of involved in the tour in different ways, sponsors and so. Uh, and, and they kind of used that as a way of saying that, you know, the, the PGA Tour was harmful to this new Live Golf's tour. But I, I, isn't that what one competitor does to another? Yeah. And, and I, I question whether or not. Not only that, and you make a very good point, but but I question whether or not, even if you if you sort of get past your point, which I don't think I would as a judge, but I, I question whether it's true because look at the big names. You know, you can make an argument that a, a good portion, maybe even the majority of the big guns on the PGA Tour, uh, have left. 
Um, you know, when you looked at like last week, now that tournament in Detroit has never been a big draw in terms of the, you know, the superstars as a, as a whole because of the timing of it on the calendar. And then this week's tournament in Greensboro, um, most of the names of the people that are there are not what you would call household names. Um, far from it. But it's their opportunity to probably cash in who are still on the PGA Tour. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, you know, um, I think the PGA Tour, to the extent they have a problem, uh, is not quite so much the legal aspect. is whether or not the Saudi money will continue to back the LIV Tour for an extended period such that it can kind of get its feet under it. Because once it gets a television contract with the names that it has right now, you know, I think your your average sports fan probably watches the LIV tour uh, before and, and over uh, the PGA tour. I could be wrong on that, but that's what I think. You're just given the, 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 the name recognition and the draw associated with that. Well, it may depend on the event. Well, certainly. So, I mean, people are certainly going to watch the, the Masters or right. the U.S. Open, but if it's the Greater Greensboro Open versus, you know, the other channel, which has, you know, Phil Mickelson and Bryson Shambo or whatever his name is playing, people may tune into That's that right. one instead. And then the gimmicks that the LIV Tour has instituted, and I think we touched on that several weeks ago when we talked about it, that are designed to make television viewing better where they have a shotgun start, everybody starts at the same time on different holes uh, so that they're, you know, the big names are not either they're going out later and they're not on yet. And so you miss them or they played earlier and you miss them. You know, everybody's playing at the same time. So you don't have extended periods where there's, there's no quote action taking place, much less action without the big names involved. And, you know, I think the purists probably don't like that or don't care, but I think your average viewer it would, would really find that appealing. Have you heard of any networks working on a contract for those? Uh, no, uh, but since, you know, since uh, you and I um, uh, talked about this uh, several weeks ago, uh, David Faraday has left NBC Sports to become the voice of the LIV tour, which makes me think that they're serious about either maybe even packaging it and, and, and doing it themselves or, or seeking a, a, a television contract right now they're with YouTube. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know that that's quite the drawing power in the golf world that it might be if you were talking something where, you know, 15 to 30 year old people were your draw, they, they probably would, would find the YouTube uh, access appealing, but I'm not sure that the average golf fan would. Well, I don't know. You know, they 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 make that determination based on how much they can sell advertising for, and streaming is that's right. But but I think hiring you know a, a name from the broadcasting the golf broadcasting uh, hierarchy suggests that they're serious about trying to get a, some sort of television deal that they like in place. Yeah, so we'll continue to watch this both from that competitive standpoint, but from this antitrust standpoint, see what happens with it. I'm, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. Not least of, of all because the players who are suing made the decision to go and 
made huge amounts of money to do it. That's right. Do they have, if they come back, do they have to disgorge the money? That's a good question. I think they want the best of both worlds. Or have their cake and eat it too. There you go. So those were kind of some big stories we talked about some, you know, in the last week, it looks like the Senate uh, or the Democrats in the Senate have convinced Joe Manchin to go along with a big spending bill. And, uh, you know, I've tried to figure out how much this is going to cost. And I've read some things that said $369 billion, some things that said $760 billion. I've read things in the middle. And the truest thing may be they don't have a bill yet. They just still have this draft framework that uh, they've agreed to, and they're trying to convince Kirsten Cinema from Arizona to go along with it so they can pass it with no Republican support. Yeah, um, and I have a feeling they're having some trouble with, with the Senator Sinema. Um, you know, Manchin staked himself out uh, when he was confronted by some of the press about his saying that he would never, his prior statement that he would never support any bill that increased inflation or, or made inflation worse. Um, and, you know, the, I guess, it, I don't, I don't, was it CBO or somebody that quote unquote scored this bill, which I, I take it is Washington ease for analyzed it for its true effect. Yeah, it was actually an organization as part of uh, Wharton school at uh, Pennsylvania or university of Pennsylvania. Okay. Wharton School of Business. But they said it, it, it not only, I mean, whatever inflationary and, and but, uh, effect there is to the positive is due to the fact that in later years, uh, the deficit gets paid down some. But that's probably washed out, if not overcome, by these the earlier years where it's going gonna, it's gonna to increase inflation. Uh, because it's it's spending more money and then not paying the deficit down. So Manchin kind of, I mean, he really went out on a limb with his comments about, oh, that's not true. You know, it's not going to, it's not going to. And now he looks kind of foolish. I still think Manchin has stepped in it um, with the voters of, of West Virginia. Politically, you mean? Yeah. I, I mean, I, with the tax on coal, and I don't understand why he did that. I mean, he was sitting pretty, you know, he, he, he really looked like a, a a wise statesman by going against his party uh, and, and looking out for the preferences of the citizens of West Virginia. Uh, and, and now he's kind of gone. Not only has he gone back on his word, but he, he seems to have really made a mistake. Uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right. I don't know. Of what he's thinking, but you can call it the Inflation Reduction Act all you want, but you can't dump hundreds of billions of dollars more into the economy and think it's going to reduce inflation. And on on top of that, you know, West Virginia just recently scored a big win at the Supreme Court. That's right. When they said the EPA couldn't issue certain types of regulations, there was apparently language within this draft framework which would reverse that Supreme Court opinion, and it's going to hit West Virginia where it hurts in terms of the coal industry. Um, so that's that's going to be a major shift, and I think it'll be majorly unpopular for that reason. You wonder just exactly once you get past what Manchin was thinking. I mean, what possibly could he have gotten from Schumer to cause him to 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 change and go 180 degrees, or what does Schumer have to hold over him, or did he simply get 
you know, his staff was asleep at the wheel. And he signed up for something that he had no idea what some of the details were, and now he's stuck. It could be. Now, supposedly there is a pipeline in West Virginia that is one of his strongest supporters, and he got permission, or he's going to get permission, that that pipeline gets some big federal tax advantage and gets to be back in business. So that's something that may individually affect him. But then historically, Manchin has almost never stood up to Schumer. I mean, it's always been a situation where he says, no, no, no. And then in the end, well, okay. And he agrees to something. Yeah. And I think that's what Republicans were concerned about before, but they believed that Manchin would stay strong. That's why so many Republicans voted for this uh, semiconductor support act that passed right before they announced this agreement, uh, because that probably would not have had Republican support otherwise. The so-called CHIPS Act. Yeah, the CHIPS Act. So lots of stuff going on in Washington. They can't stop spending money. It's addictive. They're spending other people's money. Yeah, even better. Yeah, your money, my money, our listeners' money. Yeah, in terms of um, in terms of legal news, I saw that uh, a couple of things happened after we've been discussing the Dobbs decision, which returned the abortion question to the states. Uh, Kansas had a vote this week, kept a pro-abortion clause in their constitution, but by a large margin. Did that surprise you? I, I thought that was very surprising. Kansas is typically what you think of as a red state. And yet, like something like two thirds of the people that voted voted to keep that clause in the state abortion. I mean, in the state constitution. Now, I've seen some different explanations. One was that uh, it wasn't on the ballot for an extended period of time, and it wasn't marketed well, and that the the language of the proposed amendment that was put on the ballot was apparently not very clear. Um, That's one explanation. I don't know how accurate it is. Another explanation I've heard is that, you know, the the language in the Constitution talks about 22 weeks and the language in the amendment that was put up to the voters just didn't have a time frame so that maybe if it had gone for 15 weeks or something like that, it would have been more popular. Um, Or perhaps Kansas just has a streak of independence. But it was very surprising to me that it it happened the way it did. Well, yeah, and the... The abortion lobby spent a ton of money um, in the last days of the campaign uh, sort of uh, running uh, a marketing campaign against the provision. But I still, you know, I didn't see that coming. Not not at that, that those margins anyway. Yeah. And of course, it was a August election and not a November election, which That's is, right. you know, turns out more people. But. Still surprising. <laughs> the other thing, Lee, is you know I know there was there were other primary elections this this week. Any that you're particularly following? Well, uh, I thought that the uh, the Missouri Senate uh, Republican primary was was particularly interesting uh, for the uh, the seat being vacated by the retiring Roy Blunt, uh, who's a Republican. If if the Republicans are to increase uh, or take the Senate, they, they obviously would have to hold that seat. Um, there were three candidates. There's Eric Schmidt, the current attorney general from the state of Missouri. There's some other fellow whose name even for, escapes me who got about 4% of the vote. And then there was former Governor Eric Greitens, a retired, I think that's how you pronounce his name, um, retired Navy SEAL, 
who was elected governor um, in, uh, I believe, two, 2016. And then he was impeached uh, on what I remember to be sort of um, salacious and, and uh, you know, sort of bad allegations. Yeah, I remember it to be kind of scandalous. Yeah, um, he, he, he tied up a, someone and hairdresser or something. And, and, and anyway, he was impeached. He re, he resigned before he was removed. And then the case against him sort of fell apart. He then entered this race uh, for uh, the Senate. Um, there was a, a, a two schools of thought, essentially. One was he's tainted and we can do better and, and he'll never be the Democrat given his history and, and we shouldn't select him as the nominee. And the other one was he's um, the American first candidate. He's the strong guy who'll stand up to the Democrats. President Trump refused to get involved. When asked who he endorsed, he simply said, I endorse Eric and wouldn't say which one. And, uh, and then Monday, uh, Monday night, uh, Eric Schmidt just beat the pants off um, both of the other two. And, and Greitens finished uh, last uh, The last number I saw had him in third place. I, I don't know if that changed when the remaining returns came in. Yeah, that's he, the last got, thing I saw also. He, he got his nose rubbed in it. Um, and uh, I, I think Schmidt is a formidable candidate. I think he probably is at least as strong America first candidate as, as Greitens would have been without the baggage. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, it was, but it was interesting to me. I, I kind of thought Greitens might win, uh, by, you know, a small margin. Um, and but, as you say, this is a must hold for Republicans if they're going right. to take the Senate back. Yeah. And then the other one, um, that I thought was interesting, not, not unexpected, but interesting nonetheless was this lady Tudor Dixon, uh, who will be the Republican gubernatorial nominee in, um, in Michigan and run against uh, uh, Gretchen Whitmer. And she was also endorsed by, uh, by Trump. She was. Um, and uh, she, uh, she appears to be a strong candidate who, uh, you know, is sort of, um, I don't know what the right word is, but she, she's not apologetic about her conservative beliefs, does not believe in letting the, the, the liberal media uh, define the, playing ground and the, and the rules um, sort of in the DeSantis Trump playbook in that regard. Uh, she's a cancer survivor and um, has some other attributes that are somewhat unusual in politics. And um, I, I think she, you know, who knows what happens in Michigan, but I think she, she will make a strong race anyway. Yeah. Are you following Arizona at all? Um, a little bit. I have trouble telling who's who. I, you know, Trump is very strong with regard to Kerry Lake. And then I see that Kerry Lake was as, as late as, you know, maybe 16 or certainly a few years before that was pro-abortion, uh, pro-Obama. Uh, and so it's like, well, what's going on there? Is this one of these Dr. Oz personal loyalty situations? Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, and then Blake Masters, he seems... Uh, to be um, sort of uh, what I would call a strong, strong Republican candidate. But he had some some opposition from some folks within the Arizona Republican Party that I didn't quite understand. So I, I really don't 
I don't have a feel for it. Do you? I don't. Now, in the, the, the governor's race, Carrie Lake, last I saw, was leading by a little over 12,000 votes, but it was still considered too close to call. Um, I saw an interview with her. Gosh, I guess it's probably been about six weeks ago now. She was on Brett Bear's evening show, and he asked a question about an allegation that had come out. Um, it had to do with somebody she knew that was gay and it made some claim that, you know, maybe she had changed her position or something. And honestly, I, I don't recall the question as much as I recall her response because it was like a light switch flipped and she went from, you know, a, a congenial candidate talking about their positions to how can you ask me that? And it just went downhill from there. I, I've never seen an interview quite like it, which, which made her memorable in my mind. Um, I don't know. I don't know how this one ends up. It's still too close to call. You know, in terms of Blake Masters, you know, he'll be running against Mark Kelly, a former astronaut who seems to be pretty popular out there. So that's a that's going to be a tough race for him, I think. Yeah. And that that Mark Kelly seat is interesting. You know, um, I forget the lady's name that ran uh, for the other Senate seat in Arizona. Martha McSally. That's right. Um, and, and then John Kyle retired and she was appointed to fill his seat and then lost the special election to this Mark Kelly character, um, who's married to, uh, the woman who was shot back, uh, what, 2010 or 11, who was a Congress, Congress person. Yeah. Gabby Giffords. Gabby Giffords. Uh, and then he was he was an astronaut at the time, and um, you know it's uh, Arizona's funny. It went from being staunchly Republican to either staunchly Republican or staunchly Democrat, depending on the candidate and or the race. I, I don't even think it's right to call it purple. It's just weird. Yeah, now they have two Democrat senators. Yeah, and then that's right. McSally then uh, got the uh, you know lost to cinema. Um, Cinnamon took the Kyle seat away from her. So other than saying McSally's probably done, uh, it's hard to know what's going on with, with Arizona politics. And, and I don't understand, and maybe you can help me, you know, they had all so much trouble with counting ballots in 2020. And now they're having the same issue in the 2022 primaries where it's taken days upon days to get, get the ballots counted. I, I just don't understand. Yeah, I can't explain that either. Makes no sense. We've talked about that before. How can elections be this complicated? But, yeah. you know, why is it a problem in Arizona? No clue. So that'll be one to watch for this fall. Absolutely. Well, what's on your radar for the next week? Obviously, Taiwan. You know, I'd like to think and, and, and I guess kind of do that, that this is just, you know, sort of saber rattling on steroids. Uh, I saw Tom Cotton this morning talking about how you know, he had been personally to Taiwan several times since he's been in, in, in the Congress. And, and it's, you know, not unusual for uh, members of Congress to, to travel to Taiwan. It's sort of par for the course. China gets upset about it. They claim it's a big deal and shouldn't happen and they don't want it to happen. And then they're reassured by the State Department and or the White House that it's routine. It's to be expected. We're going to do it, you know, sort of shut up about it. And then they do. And his theory was that 
on this occasion that the Biden White House responded in an effete manner, which you would, or a lot of people would expect the Biden White House to respond in. And the Chinese seized upon that as an opportunity and have sort of, you know, made a mountain out of a molehill about this. And, um, you know, if that's the case, and I kind of think it is, then maybe they'll calm down after two or three days of firing off their, uh, their missiles, uh, and, and, you know, sort of quiet things. But, there's a theory, and I guess it's probably more than a theory, but that uh, President Xi has sort of proscribed uh, an 18-month timeline uh, in which either Taiwan caves or, or they move militarily to um, to reunite um, China, uh, and that's 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 obviously concerning. So so obviously Taiwan's on the on the um, on the radar. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, the antitrust issues with baseball and golf and inflation uh, are kind of the biggies. What about you? Um, you know, a couple of things. One is I want to see if Biden ever tests negative for COVID again because he's <laughs> apparently had it now for, um, you know, six weeks or something. I don't know. It's been a long time. And I guess he's just chock full of COVID. If, if he's not symptomatic. And it's been more than five days. Why are they still testing him? I, you know, they have their own rules. I don't know. And I saw this video. I mean, it looked horrible. I, you know, I wonder if he's not sicker than they're letting him. Poor um, guy. He, he looked rough. Yeah. The other thing is I, I'm just kind of watching just curiously about, you know, what's going on in um, in Ukraine because supposedly they're starting this offensive or they're getting ready for this offensive to try to push the Russians back out of some eastern cities, which – it looks like a war of attrition at this point, so I'd be surprised to see what happened. But also in Afghanistan, because, you know, just a few days ago, the U.S. launched a drone strike and killed Ayman al-Zarahiri, who has been Laden's number two guy. And he's living right outside of Kabul. Hanging out on the balcony. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the Taliban's not making any, you know, secret of their support of him, I guess. So I, I'm just curious to see what else happens there in I think the the way it was sold when um, when this whole thing happened about a year ago, the U.S. pulled out. Thirteen American troops were killed. Uh, the nation fell to the Taliban. Was that this might be some different organization and that we could work with them in some way? At least that was intimated by the Biden administration. And then they've got the number two Al Qaeda guy, or I guess he was now the number one Al Qaeda guy, living outside of their capital city. Openly and notoriously. Yeah. So, yeah, that does not bode well. No, no, it doesn't. And supposedly the then number two guy, now number one guy, is more um, dynamic in terms of his personality than than Zawahiri and more like bin Laden. And the fear or the concern is that he will re-energize uh, the base, so to speak, and and perhaps rally some younger blood to, to the flag. and. You know, there's however many people on the terror watch list that came through the southern border running around our country someplace, and you just wonder, you know, what's next? Yeah, it's basically whack-a-mole. Yeah. You take out one, somebody else takes their place. All right, you got anything else for tonight? Don't think so. Okay. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. 
You can email us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this show, please click subscribe with your podcast provider, leave us a review, and tell your friends. (music) 